When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're still thinking about Aretha Franklin. Of course, she died last week. For comment, we turn to Farah Griffin. She's Ransford Professor of English and Comparative Literature and African-American Studies at Columbia University. She's written several books. The most recent is Harlem Nocturne, Women Artists and Progressive Politics in New York during World War II. We reached her today in New York City. Farah Griffin, welcome. Thank you. Well, Aretha Franklin, in many ways, of course, was unique, but she came out of a particular time and place. When she was four years old in 1946, her family moved to Detroit, where her father, the Reverend C.L. Franklin, became pastor at New Bethel Church. What did it mean for her to grow up in that world in the 40s and 50s? Well, Detroit was a um, kind of one of the, what I think of as the great migration meccas, you know, um, where people came from throughout the South um, or from smaller cities um, to a place like Detroit. Some people went to Chicago, others to New York, Philadelphia, um, as part of the Great Migration. And these were places that, you know, had their own difficulties, their own racial difficulties, but also promised a greater degree of mobility and freedom and also quite promised um, possibilities in terms of employment that people wouldn't have had access to. Detroit especially offered that to the migrants, and particularly in a kind of post-war period, it would have been a kind of booming place culturally, politically, economically for black people who came. And yet at the same time, we have to remember that with the wave of race riots in 1943, Detroit had been the site of one of those. So it's a very complex place for um, Aretha and her family to arrive. But um, the church itself would be a place where someone with her gifts and talents could have blossomed. And her world growing up was rich in black music. Absolutely. It's the the world of the church. Her father is, you know, this very well-known minister who already was a kind of recording success himself, um, having recorded some of his sermons. And she got to know the sort of royalty of black music culture, Dinah Washington, um, Clara Ward, who was her father's partner for a while, Mahalia Jackson. Um, so just in the church world alone, it's like an incredibly vibrant and rich place. But also outside of the church world, Detroit is also this place where the young performers who are her contemporaries, who will make the Motown sound, are coming up and practicing and creating groups. And so there is such a kind of rich, vibrant music culture in Detroit at that time. I think it's unmatched. She released the song Respect in April 1967. It was an Otis Redding song, but she changed it. She changed its meaning. Uh, please explain. Otis Redding had recorded that song, and, it, and I think he learned one of the things that many people would learn with Aretha, that if, if Aretha did a cover, it wouldn't really be a cover. She would make it her own. Yes. Aretha took that song and really made it an anthem. 
and it was an anthem about a particular kind of woman who had her own resources. She wasn't a woman who was going to, you know, being kept or taken care of. She had her own resources, and she was offering to share them with her lover only if he gave her respect. It's a song that can become an anthem for particular kind of female empowerment, but because of the time in which it's released, it's also an anthem for kind of the um, civil rights movement, the burgeoning black power movement. There's a militancy there. There's a great dignity there. And there is a kind of demand. It's not a request. It's not a request, oh, please respect me, you know, but it's a demand that one of the conditions of having me continue to be involved with you is that you respect me. In 1970, Aretha told Jet Magazine that she wanted to post bail for Angela Davis. Remind us why Angela Davis was in jail in 1970 and what it meant that Aretha wanted to bail her out. Well, Angela had kind of been on the radar. Um, Ronald Reagan, who at the time was governor of California, um, had a real problem with Angela Davis working in the UC system because she was a communist, an avowed communist, and as we know, he was an anti-communist. So there had already been challenges about Angela's place and role in the academy, the public academy there. And then when Jonathan Jackson, you know, went to the Marin County Courthouse demanding that his brother be released, his brother George Jackson be released, used a, uh, uh, some guns to hold the judge in a case there, hostage, the guns were later traced to Angela. So Angela, there was a long period where Angela was underground, and then she was um, caught. She was on the FBI's most wanted list, and she was charged with conspiracy, kidnapping, and murder. Those were federal, I mean, those were um, capital crimes. Um, the, the death penalty is what she was up against. There was a campaign to get her bail. You know, you could not get bail on those charges. It was a capital offense. And so there was a campaign to try and see if she could get bail. And briefly, for a brief moment, when California outlawed the death penalty, then she was eligible for bail. But Aretha, you know, signed on to support her in that campaign and then offered to pay the bail herself. And who was Aretha at this point in in 1970 when she wanted to bail Angela out? So by 1970, Aretha was a major star. She's one of the primary architects of the music we know of as soul. And interestingly enough, she's also appealing to not just black audiences. By 1970, she's got a large white audience, too. In fact, I think Aretha's sound is the sound of the times. It's the voice of the time. She's huge in 1970. Angela, as you say, was a communist. She was probably America's most prominent communist in 1970. The University of California regents had tried to fire her from her first job teaching philosophy at UCLA in the fall of 1969. Now, Aretha was not a communist in 1970. Why did she support America's most prominent communist? Well, I think for Aretha, it wasn't that Angela was a communist. Angela was a black woman, 
And that's why she supported her. She says in her statement to Jet, I don't even care about the fact that she's a communist. She's a black woman who's devoted her life to black people, and therefore I'm going to support her. She says, I have the money to do so. The bail, I think, at that time was, they talked about $250,000. She said, I have the money to do so, and I got this money. I earned this money from black audiences, from black people, and I want to use it to help black people. So it was in spite of her being a communist. She wasn't an Aretha wasn't like a anti-communist by any means, but that's not why she was supporting Angela. She was supporting Angela because Angela was a black woman committed to black freedom struggle. Now, in the piece you wrote for The Nation magazine about uh, Aretha, you interviewed Angela Davis about this mm-hmm. moment. Tell us, tell us what Angela said. Well, Angela said that it really that Aretha's support really was a turning point in the campaign and campaign for not only for trying to get her bail or bond, but in the campaign for her freedom. She said that at the time, Aretha was the most prominent figure to support her. Other people who had held back because they were afraid of the communist connection, like we aren't that far removed from McCarthyism, right? right? And so people understand what that means. They were afraid. She said that they were then willing to put themselves out, that it really was a major turning point and that she was always grateful for Aretha's public support. Moving right along, Aretha sang at the inauguration of Barack Obama in January 2009. Remind us about that moment. It was an extraordinary moment. Um, one, it's because of the historical nature of Obama becoming president of the United States. Yes. And Aretha had, you know, she sang for other presidents. She sang at pre-inaugural activities for Carter. She sang for um, Bill Clinton. Clinton. But this was sort of, you know, this is a woman who, who sang to raise money for Jesse Jackson and sang for Martin Luther King and sang at Mahalia Jackson's funeral. For her to actually sing for America's first African-American president was extraordinary. And I always think of her singing in that moment as sort of reminding us of what America's potential was, that this is who we could be as a nation. Look at what we just did. Look at what we can possibly do, what we can become. It it felt like a very aspirational moment. I was there, and I I don't think anyone could have done it in the way that Aretha did. And the song that she sang, that's also notable. Right. She did not sing the national anthem, <laughs> um, she, you know, the Star Spangled Banner. She sang My Country, Tis of Thee, which is a song that claims the nation for the people who are being invoked as community, um, for the people, you know, who she represented in that style that she sang. Claim the country, I think, um, in a way that the, only that song allows her to do for the people who have, you know, maybe been on the underside, maybe the people who have been on the underside of America's history, that this is our nation too. It's not a militaristic song. It's not a bombastic song. It's an inclusive community-creating song. So Aretha sang for Obama on the first day of his presidency. She sang for him again at the Kennedy Center in the last year of his presidency. She sang, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. The TV cameras showed... Michelle whispering to him, it's true. At the end, there were tears on his face and lots of others. 18 million people have watched that video clip as of this week. Why do you think that was such an amazing night? There's so many reasons because there's so many narratives that are going on. It's an amazing night because it's the last year of his presidency. 
it's an amazing night because we know what's coming. <laughs> we know how different the incoming presidency is going to be. And I think it was an especially amazing night, and maybe this is part of the emotion of it, is because of Aretha's own resilience. Yeah. That here she is at a stage, a later stage in her career. She's a virtuoso musician. She was a prodigy on the piano. And so, first of all, she sits down at the piano, so we know we're getting a rare treat. We're getting to hear her in a way that we don't often hear her. She's accompanying herself on the piano. And then there's that grand diva moment where she stands up and she's so overcome and she's going to give us the best from the very depths of her soul. She's going to give it. Um, and she throws off that mink coat <laughs> um, in a, like this incredible moment of drama, you know, almost yeah. like an, something that one would have in opera. And her voice is extraordinary. And this is late Aretha. If you think about it, this is going to be one of her last performances. And one doesn't expect someone to be in that voice who's had a career that long, but her voice is extraordinary. And I think that for many people, there's a kind of sadness that we're losing Obama, that the Obama era is over, especially because what is coming. But Aretha always represents, and I think she did that night, the resilience, you know, that we have the power and we have the um, tradition to move through even the most difficult times. I mean, it, it really, I think it's going to go down in history as one of the most important performances of the, this period. Aretha represents the resilience. Farrah Griffin, she wrote about Angela Davis and Aretha Franklin for The Nation. You can read that piece at thenation.com. Farrah, thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.